Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve, 1929 was the year the Great Depression started, and newspapers were filled with stories of increased crimes, home break-ins, bank robberies, and assaults. And in Cleveland that year, over a few weeks during the holiday season, it appeared that somebody was trying real hard to become a serial killer. There was a series of attacks against young women on the streets of residential neighborhoods, leaving the entire city tense and on edge. The terror started on a Friday evening, December 20. Beatrice Gallagher was 23 and worked as a live-in maid at the home of Robert H. Perdue. At midnight that evening, she was returning from a dance to the Perdue home and was unlocking the door when a man stepped out of the bushes by the house. You know, if you think you get up to your door, you're probably feeling pretty safe at that point. Right, I mean, you're just a turn of a key away from getting inside. You're there. Well, he warned her not to scream as he grabbed her and tried to pull her toward the shrubbery. But she screamed anyway and struggled to get away. Then she saw the glint of a nickel-plated pistol and heard a voice softly say, I warned you, before she was shot five times. Now, Mr. Perdue inside, he heard the shots and ran outside to find his maid lying in the grass. Beatrice was rushed to the hospital and operated on, and physicians recovered thirty-two caliber bullets. Beatrice had been quite fortunate, actually. One bullet pierced her lung, but the others hit her arms and legs. She survived the assault. Two days later, on December 22, it seemed as if the same man struck again. This time, the victim was a 20-year-old bride named Mary Peshock. Mary and her husband, John, had just married three months earlier, but things at home were a little bit strained. That night, John said he was stepping out to see a friend, and that resulted in a spat. Mary was upset, so she wrote a note to scare her husband. It said, I'm leaving, but you needn't look for me except by the lake. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Then Mary left the house. Well, she didn't get far. She reached the corner of East 55th Street and Lexington Avenue when a man approached her and asked her to take a walk with him. She refused and started to move away when the man pulled a revolver out and fired twice, one bullet lodging in her abdomen, the other in her back. It's like Son of Sam stuff. It was crazy. Mary, she was rushed to Charity Hospital and operated on, and the bullets recovered from her appeared to be the same caliber and type taken out of Beatrice Gallagher. 
Mary also survived the assault, and she gave the same description of her attacker as Beatrice, that of a round-faced young man. Well, Christmas and New Year's came and went without further incident, but the break was short-lived. On January 3, 1930, 16-year-old Janet Frader Blood, who lived on the city's west side, prepared to go visit a friend who lived nearby. Before the family moved to Cleveland, Janet was born in Jamestown, New York. She was the only child of Janet and William Blood. Her mother and namesake died two years earlier, and now she lived with her father on West 108th Street. She was in the midst of her senior year at high school, where she was an honor student. That evening, just after dusk, Janet left her home to start the journey to her friends. She walked down Clifton Boulevard, a well-lighted, well-traveled thoroughfare. Two blocks from home, she reached the intersection of Clifton and 106th Street. A stranger stepped in her way. He had a hooked nose, wore tweed pants and a jacket, and spoke in a rough voice. She attempted to walk around him, but he moved into her path again. This time he said, don't scream, give me everything you've got. Janet told the man she had nothing. He said he'd settle for her fur-collared coat. As he began to tear it from her, she tried to wrestle away. The man pulled a pistol and fired a single shot into her back, and Janet slumped to the sidewalk. Her attacker took the time to bend over, pick up her purse, remove six dollars, then toss her purse back to the ground before fleeing. Janet was found by a passing motorist and taken to St. John's Hospital on Detroit Avenue. Two hours later, that same night, on the other side of town, an 18-year-old girl named Mae Simpson was walking near her home when a man stopped her and demanded money. She gave him the single dollar she carried. He took her coat as well. It wasn't enough. He forced the woman to a garage where he assaulted her before she managed to escape. Well, police, by now, they've had enough. Inspector George Matowitz was put in charge of the police department, and his first act was to cancel everyone's days off. The entire Cleveland force was on the case, working 12-hour shifts. Scores of officers conducted nightly patrols dressed in plain clothes. They even put 10 men in high heels, lipstick, and dresses, hoping to bait the attacker. And while it wasn't certain that all of these attacks were the work of the same man, the media gave him a nickname. They called him the Mad Masher. Ooh, that's a good name. Yeah. I'm not sure the mashing part, but it is. And the Mad Masher, he was about to get credited with his first murder because Janet Blood, the high school girl... She lingered at the hospital for two weeks, her father William keeping vigil at her bedside. The bullet had barely missed her heart, but the damage was too bad. In a last-ditch effort to save her life, Dr. James Ripton operated on her lung, but afterward he told Janet's tearful father to expect her death was imminent. Janet Blood died on January 19. She was buried in Lakewood Park Cemetery in Rocky River. Police detained and questioned several men, releasing them all in turn. But suddenly, nine days after Janet's death, police made an arrest. Edward W. Ralph 
was a round-faced 18-year-old Cleveland youth who promptly confessed to shooting Beatrice Gallagher and Mary Peshock back in December, saying he was upset that they had rebuffed his advances. He told police he threw his pistol into the lake, but after more questioning, he revealed he'd hid it in an east side home. Police went and found it, and ballistic tests matched the Gallagher and Peshock cases. Yeah, it was good news. Police brought Beatrice and Mary in to identify him, and he was really cool. You know, he was apologizing, and he even gently rebuked Mary, saying, you really shouldn't have screamed, you know. And then he blamed his actions on liquor. But Ralph denied having anything to do with Janet Blood's murder or the attack on Mae Simpson, and police couldn't find any evidence to tie him to those cases. He even gave them a list of drinking establishments he had been to that night, and they backed him up. Perhaps also noteworthy, Beatrice and Mary were shot after rejecting his advances. Janet and May had been attacked during the commission of a robbery. It might have been a different M.O. It sounds like it's a different M.O. Yeah. Well, justice for Edward Ralph was swift. He pled guilty to the December attacks, And before February was out, Judge Frank C. Phillips sent him to Mansfield Reformatory. He was given 40 years with eligibility for parole in two. And so police had caught their man in the attacks on Beatrice and Mary, but there was no justice in the murder of Janet Blood or the rape of Mae Simpson. Authorities continued to investigate, and the next year, they thought they had a promising suspect— on August the 16, 1931, a man broke into a home on the southeast end of Cleveland and slipped into the bedroom of a 16-year-old girl named Josephine Cardaloo. Josephine's sister, Frances, heard the commotion, went into the room, and grappled with the man. The attacker broke loose and ran from the house, but an attentive neighbor by the name of Frank Latormer was able to catch him and hold him for police. The suspect was young and seemed to match the description Janet Blood gave of her attacker before she died. But the prowler could never be connected to the case. Now let me close by telling you the rest of the story of that Edward Ralph. Before his first year at the Mansfield Reformatory was done, he had managed to escape. He was on the lam for three months before authorities in Los Angeles caught him in February of 1932, and sent him back to Ohio to finish out his sentence. He stayed in Mansfield for another 10 years and was paroled in 1941. Two years later, in 1943, five-year-old Mary Jane Brady was raped, choked to death, and tossed into a ravine behind her apartment. Within two hours, police had arrested Edward Ralph. You know, he had the nerve during that frantic search for Mary Jane to look into the mother's apartment and ask her, well, have you found her yet? Ralph didn't deny the crime. He blamed it on heavy drinking, and he left it up to a panel of three judges to decide his fate. They sentenced him to death. Now, Judge Samuel Silbert, he was one of the three judges that sent Edward Ralph to the electric chair. He wrote a sort of autobiography after he retired. 
And in a chapter he devoted to his support for the death penalty, he talked about Edward Ralph and all of his various exploits. And in that chapter, he suggested that Ralph very likely was responsible for the death of Janet Blood from everything that he knew about the case. They just never had enough evidence to charge and convict him. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, 
or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.